Good morning. Are you ready to raise a hallelujah? Hallelujah means to raise a joyful praise. So please join us as we sing and raise a hallelujah to our God. I'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I'll raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. Come on, why don't we stand up today? Ready? I'll raise a
one of the most powerful tools we have as believers is the power of testimony. And I know everyone in this room has a testimony and a story of how the Lord's come through for you and your family. I just want to sing about that this morning. Would you come join with me?
just your goodness, your faithfulness, God. Your praise we see all around us in the creation. Your hand at work. We pray that you would be at work in our lives and that we would respond with worship.
I wanted to speak a little bit about today is Psalm 107 20. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. I love this verse because as humans it's so easy for us to become unwell and whether that's mentally or physically this verse reminds us that we will be rescued. We will be healed and all we have to do is sing out his praises and spread his word. I wanted to tell a little story about this aspect of Christ in my life. Um, this, the beginning of this year, I got really sick, and I had never been sick in the way that I was then, and considering it was my first year of college, it was very, very jarring. But in that vulnerability, I came to understand that in the grand tapestry of existence, our faith can be the beacon guiding us through the darkest storms. And in the midst of our trials, there lies a profound promise. We shall be rescued. We shall be healed. We need not despair. Our faith, our connection to the Lord can serve as such a transformative force, leading us towards healing and salvation. I learned it's a testament to the resilience of the human spirit and the boundless grace of God. And that's what this verse means to me. And I encourage you all to reflect on what God has done and taught you in your life recently. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. See, on a hill of Calvary, my Jesus set me free. My Jesus set me free. And look 
at the wounds that give me life grace flowing from his side no greater sacrifice and what he's done and what he's done all the glory My sins are forgiven, my future is heaven, and I praise God for what He's done.
feels kind of strange to be back up here again. For some of you who don't know, have a clue who I am, it's okay, I'll kind of fill you in as we go along, but I used to preach here a long time ago, and it's just a, a joy to be back. I'm so grateful to Pastor David for inviting me to come, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of you after the service, getting to know some of you that I don't know, but I'm part of a three-part message series in a sense, from the story of David's life and this particular part of David's life when uh, Pastor David told me that I would be speaking on the actual battle between David and Goliath. Uh, he, he said that's the funnest part of the story. And in a sense it is, but it's the one everybody's heard, right? It's kind of like being asked to preach at Christmas. How do you get anything new to say? You know, uh, but I'm thrilled because there is something, there are some things new to say, and I'm excited about God's word. It's just so, it's new all the time. But I'm thrilled to be able to share with you this morning, and uh, as we start the, the, the football season, which we have started, it's easy to relate this David and Goliath story, because every coach refers, this is probably the most often told or at least referred to sermon in all of scripture or story in all of scripture because that underdog fighting the, the big dog kind of thing. Uh, I, some of you are old enough here to remember the, the name of Walter Payton. Walter Payton, at me. some of you shake your heads. See Walter Payton. He was a running back for the Chicago Bears. He, ran, he played for them for 13 years. He was a first draft pick for, for them that year and, uh, when he started. And he set just about every rushing record you could set. In fact, at the end of every season in the NFL, they have an awards ceremony where they give out awards. And one of the awards they offer is the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. I mean, out of the... 1,600 plus NFL players, one guy gets to be man of the year, and he gets this Walter Payton award. Well, Walter Payton, they, they, they called him sweetness because of the way he could run through defensive lines. It was just amazing uh, he, how many records he set, and one of them that he set was the number of carries, and I think it's, I've got it written down here somewhere, 4,368 carries, and you think about, you subtract from that 175, 125 touchdowns, all the rest of the time virtually got knocked down, right? I mean, he ends up on the ground all the rest of the time. Uh, the the, the st thing we learned from Walter is that if you, if you can keep getting up, you, you're rarely defeated. And they say Christians should never be down. You should be either up or getting up, right? Yeah, we get knocked down. All of us do. The giants sometimes defeat us, but we get back up and we learn and we grow from those experiences. We're going to take a look at the life of David today and see about some of that. But one of the, probably the, most exciting game I've seen so far this season was the first day of the season when Boulder, Colorado, the, the Colorado Buffaloes, not Boulder, the Colorado Buffaloes played uh, TCU. If you don't know anything about, you haven't followed college football, Colorado won one game last year, one game last year. And they start the season playing a team that played for the championship, TCU, uh, as their first game of the season. And though they hired a high-profile coach, new high-profile coach who brought in a lot of new players, nobody gave them a chance. 21-point underdog. I mean, nobody thought they could even come close in this game. But it was the most exciting game of the season so far because the lead changed back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And at the end, the last whistle, the underdog won. By three points, 45 to 42, they won. 
um, wow, underdogs can win. And the story we'll revisit today is just one of the most well-known of those. Let's bow in prayer before we start and ask God to open our hearts and minds to what he wants to say. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you demonstrate for us in scripture over and over again who you are, who you are and what you do through and for your people. And Father, as we look at this story again of David and that uh, challenge that you put before him and the way he responded to that challenge, help us to learn, help us to grow from his story. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you, you know the story, it's, it's the time when the Philistines invade Israel and invasions are always bad, it seems, and this was one of those. And they, they invade Israel, and their, their plan is to divide the kingdom, Solomon's kingdom in half, and it's a, I mean, Saul's kingdom in half. And, uh, but uh, as they come in, they line up their army on one side of the Elah Valley, and Saul has his, the Israelite army on the other side, and there's a great ravine in between. And it's a steep hillside. I've been there, and uh, you, you can see how, how, how it would have been as those armies faced each other on opposite hillsides and they're getting up every morning and lining up in their battle lines and they're screaming insults at each other you know kind of army trash talk I guess and they're and and every morning this this behemoth of a man comes out both morning and evening and he shouts insults and this guy is the biggest guy they had ever seen and probably one of the biggest guys who's ever been on the planet you know I mean he was according to uh, six spans and a cubit no, cubit, six cubits in a span, that's it. Six cubits in a, nine foot nine is what they calculate that out to be. This is a big guy. Uh, I know Pastor David talked about uh, Robert Wadlow, who uh, in the early part of the 19th century, he was uh, supposedly the biggest man who'd ever lived. He was eight foot 11. Eight foot, if you go to Anton, uh, Alton, rather, Illinois, you can see this statue of him. Uh, he's the greatest thing that ever came out of there. Evidently, when he was 14 years old, he was the biggest Boy Scout that ever lived. He was already seven foot four uh, when he was a Boy Scout. And uh, this guy was uh, eight foot 11, 436 pounds, a 37 size shoe. Uh, that's a big guy. But Goliath was bigger. Goliath was even bigger than that. In fact, and he had the armor, and it describes all the armor. And I know Pastor David has already explained that to you. I watched him on I watched him on uh, YouTube, so I know the sermons that came before me. So I and and and, and Pastor David did a great job in describing the uh, the ma uh, armor and the mail that he had on him, and the the helmet and the, all these kinds of things. Uh, this guy was ready for battle, and he comes out and he shouts to the. Israeli army, send your champion out. Now, champion is an interesting word. It's only used here in Scripture. The only time it's ever used, and it's really a composite of two words, man in between. Man in between. Somebody who comes in between one army and the other and is willing to fight. And that's what this champion was doing. He was coming out and saying, you send a champion out and I will fight him. If he beats me, we will be your slaves. But if I beat him, you'll be our slaves. Now, I'm not sure they bought that. I wouldn't have, you know. Because, you know, they're really going to be our slaves. I don't think so. But anyway, uh, nobody comes out. And the only one who was really even could have possibly come out might have been Saul. Because Saul was head and shoulders above any other man in Israel. He was taller than any other man. So Saul would have been the guy. But in verse 11, it says Saul was terrified along with the rest of his army. Nobody wanted to fight this guy. Forty days, he is shouting these insults at the Israel Israeli army, and nobody's willing to go out and fight until 
until this shepherd boy shows up. And he's bringing stuff that his dad back in, uh, his dad Jesse, uh, back in Bethlehem, remember that, Bethlehem, uh, had sent to the, his three older brothers. He took food to them. This is the way they supplied the army back then. You didn't have your normal ways of doing it. And so if, you, if kids were in the army, you had to send food for them. So that's what Jesse was doing, and David was taking him. And David arrives just about the time that this, this giant is doing his thing. And he's shouting obscenities and using, and he's profaning the name of Jehovah God. Now, David being raised in an Orthodox Jewish home probably had never heard anybody profane God. You didn't do that in Israel. I mean, that was, pun that was, a, that was capital crime, punishable by death, by stoning. Okay, so David, here's this, here's this giant. He's hurling all of these insults. He's profaning the name of God. And David said, I'll fight him. I'll fight him. And the word gets back to Saul. And King Saul's excited. I'm sure that somebody finally volunteered. So one of my guys is going to volunteer. And then he sees this shepherd boy walk up. And he's not so excited anymore. You, you can't fight him. You're only a boy. Now, David wasn't really a boy like we think. I, I used to think 13, 14, something like that. no. Because you see then in the next scene, Saul get, takes off his army and gives it to David. Now, Saul was all, already a head and shoulders taller than anybody. David was not a runt when he, when he showed up. He was young. He had to be at least 20 years old to fight in the army, right? So he's, he, he could have been 19 and a half. You know, I don't know. But he could have had his full growth or at least a part of most of his adult growth by that. Anyway, he was able to try on the armor, and he does. But he realizes, this is not for me. <laughs> you know, I, I can't use this. You know, this is going to drag me down. And so he goes out with a sling and a shepherd's staff. Um, and that's where I reviewed that for, in case anybody didn't hear Pastor David bring you up to this point. But that's where he, that's where he stops and that's where he, he gave me to start. I start at uh, uh, verse 40 there. Yeah, 40. Uh, and that's where David goes in and he picks up the smooth stones. Remember that? He picks up five smooth stones and puts them in his shepherd's bag. And, and you know why he picked up five? Because, because Goliath has four brothers and they're called the lords of the Philistines. There are five of them, five of these giants. And David was smart enough to know that these other guys might come, come out just as he walks up. So he's, he's ready for them. He goes and he picks up five smooth stones and he's got his sling. Now, a sling it might not sound like much uh, of a weapon. I mean, uh, the Philistine had what? He had a sword, he had a spear, he had a javelin. He was all dressed in, in armor and stuff. And here's this kid, basically, anybody with a kid to... to to Goliath, and he's got a shepherd's staff and a stone. Um, Goliath says to him, you come at me? Am I a dog that you would come at me with a stick? And he cursed David in the names of his gods. Now, the Philistine gods were Baal, Ash, Ashtarli, uh, Ashereth, and Dagon. And these are, these are, these are gods of, uh, of immorality and sexual perversion. And he's shouting at David in the name of these gods. And David responds, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. David was not alone, and he knew he wasn't alone. He was going out there in God's name, and he knew the weaponry that was going to be used against him, and all he had was a sling. But you heard the thing about the sling, and I, I'm, I'm getting them all fouled up up there because I'm going to go back to Judges. 
Now, among the Benjamin elite troops, 700 were left-handed, and each of them could sling a, a rock and hit a target within a hair's breadth without missing. Pastor David shared that verse last week. Can you imagine what it would be like to get hit with a, a stone the size of a, maybe somewhere in between a, a, a golf ball and a, and a tennis ball size at 100 miles an hour? That's what the, science, uh, the American Science Institute says. In the hand of a, a seasoned soldier, a rock could fly at in excess of 100 miles an hour. Some of you have seen pitchers in the, in, 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 that, uh, who can pitch that fast you can't see the ball you can't see the ball Goliath never saw it coming he's coming out there hoping for hand-to-hand combat because he's got a definite advantage but he but David doesn't come for hand-to-hand combat he's going to use his sling that's what God has taught him to use somehow when he's out protecting the sheep and he can use that thing and he does and you know the story I mean, the Bible says the rock sunk into his forehead, into Goliath's forehead, and he fell face to the ground. And when he did, David went over, pulled the short sword out of his sheath and cut off, killed him, and then cut off his head. And he probably held that head up like this, you know. And the, and the Philistines, now, put yourself in the place of these Philistines. They have heard of the God of Israel. I mean, he is legend how Israel took over that whole area and all the miracles that God did for them. They know there's a God in Israel. They're just hoping he won't show up. But he did. He did. And they see their, their champion dead. And there's this young man with the head. And they scatter. They scatter. They run. And the army of Israel comes out after them. And the dead bodies are, are strewn all over the road all the way back to Gath, and the, the, the fortified city of Gath. And then they go back and plunder the army of the camp of the, of the Philistines. Amazing story of what God does. Now, all of us face giants. God does something here, and it's not unusual. Why is it that God would allow a vulgar pagan giant to intimidate and terrorize his people like he did why would God uh, send Gideon out with 300 men to take on a a Midianite army of 135,000 remember Gideon started with a much bigger it started with 10,000 guys and then he shrunk it down and he he ends up with 300 guys facing 135,000 Why did God do that? Why did God send Moses to the Red Sea with all the children of Israel and then provoke Pharaoh to come with all of his chariots chasing him? Why did he do that? Uh, Why did God uh, allow Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be put into a fiery furnace or or Daniel to be put in a, a, a den with hungry lions? What is God doing this for? Why does he let his people get into these no-win situations where there's no way out, no way they can save themselves so he can come in at the last minute and save everybody? Is he just showing off? Yes, he is. He's showing off. Why? Because we are so slow to trust. We are so apt to doubt him. And he has to show himself over and over and over and over again. So we'll get it. 
that God is bigger than any challenge. He's bigger than any giant. And he has to prove it to us. And we keep, every time we face one, we panic, you know. Every time God allows something into our lives, we panic again instead of going straight to him. Back in 1983, I moved my family to Camarillo. Um, my wife and two kids. <clears throat> There's a little ch- congregation of people meeting in the fellowship hall of the Evangelical Free Church, uh, um, their fellowship hall over on Arneal and, and Daly. Yeah, okay, right at the corner. The, the, the EV Free Church over there. That's where the church met. I'd just gotten out of school. Nobody else would take me. They were desperate, so I became their pastor. <laughs> and we started there as a little congregation. And I knew something about evangelism because I'd spent some time on Campus Crusade staff. So we, I, I would preach evangelistic sermons, and I, and I got the people. I said, we actually embrace the challenge of knocking on every door in Camarillo. Camarillo was a little smaller back then. <laughs> every door in Camarillo. And we would introduce ourselves. We'd ask them where they went to church. If they didn't have a church home, we'd invite them to ours. And our church started to grow. And, and about two years in, we were at the size where the EV church wanted to get rid of us and we needed bigger space. And so we, we had bought this piece of property here at the corner of Carmen and, uh, and Las Posas. And so we started to build our church. And um, we scraped all together all the money we could, and we went to a local bank, and they said, when you get done with all, when you spend all your money, let us know, and we'll loan you, the, we'll give you a construction loan, finish it up. So, okay, we started our building. We went out there every Saturday. The whole church was out there. Uh, we were digging trenches. We were laying pipes, and we were pouring concrete for footings, and then finally got the pad done. We had hired a man in our congregation who was a construction guy, and, and he had hired a little mini crew of about three people, three guys that were there during the weekend. On the weekends, we were coming out and building this church. And we'd heard about, I'd heard about some guy, some family that needed a barn and they got the whole community to come over one Saturday and everybody pitched in and they built a barn in a, in a Saturday. And I thought, that's cool. So we sent out letters to churches all over Southern California. Uh, anybody in our denomination, we, put, we sent out a letter and we said, if you've got anybody with construction skills, send them to this on this particular Saturday. We're going to have a, we're going to have a church raising. And they came, and they came, 100-plus skilled carpenters and all kinds of guys came, and we, we put a, uh, a uh, lapse, time-lapse camera on top of the construction shack so we could take pictures and see the progress, and we saw this building. Then they framed the outside, they framed the inside, they put up the, uh, had a crane up here to lift those big uh, uh, trusses up on the top. And it, 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 was a, it was a great party. It was a great day. We saw a lot of work done. But then all the people went home. And we still had a lot of work to do. And not only that, we had spent all our money. We didn't have any more money. So we went to the bank and we said, hey, can you loan us a construction loan now? We're ready to go on and finish our building. And they said, well, here's some paperwork you need to fill. We filled out the paperwork. They gave us some more paperwork. They said, hey, fill this out. We filled that out. They gave us some more paperwork and we filled that out. And we began to realize this bank don't want to loan us that money. They're not going to loan us that money. And I could understand why. Here's a small local bank, and we're a small congregation. And if we, if we can't make the payments, they're going to have to foreclose on a church in their own community. And that isn't going to look good. So they didn't want to loan it. And I could understand why. And we were in trouble, and we knew it. We had a 
chain link fence or we bolted the chain link fence closed and all the stuff that materials were sitting here on the property and dust was settling on and it was a big sign right out here on Las Postas Road that says future home of in the name of our church and it was embarrassing because there's a scripture about that in the Bible in there I mean God says Jesus says to his people he says somebody does this people will laugh at him and say there's the person who started building that that building and couldn't afford to finish it and that was us. We had bills we couldn't even pay. Our reputation was on the line. We took all the bills and receipts and put them on a big pin board up in front, of, in front of the church. And we said to the congregation, come take one of these and try to pay it if you can. My teenage daughter came and got one and used her babysitting money to pay one of those bills. Trying to s- save our reputation in the community. And then, here am I, the pastor that's led this congregation into this dead-end alley. <laughs> you know, I began to doubt my leadership, and they began to doubt my leadership, and we, began, we were praying like crazy, and then all of a sudden, God opened the door. And there was a, another bank in Ventura County that had a pres- vice president who was a Christian, and he invited Tony Amatangelo and I to come in. Tony was the chairman of the board of deacons back then and we we went in and he said how can uh, we want to make you this we want to loan you this money let's figure out how to do this we sat there and we figured out a way and they loaned us some money and we completed the construction and we moved into our building it was amazing it was amazing the second sunday we were in that building we had to offer a second service just to accommodate the people and the church continued to grow we added a third service. We added a fourth service. And then the next giant showed up. I took the staff on our annual staff retreat. We went up to Dorothy's cabin in Pine Mountain. And we, we usually would look back at the previous year. And we look ahead at the new year. And we say, okay, here's where we've been. Here's where we're going. Where's God got for us? And everybody, the staff are sitting there trying to figure out how do we fit all that we want to do in that little building over there. And it just couldn't be done. And they looked at me and said, Pastor, it's time for us to build again. We got more property if we need to build. And I had been pushing out of back because pastors usually leave during or at least shortly after building projects. Pastors, you know, leave. It's just, a, it's tough on pastors. It's not a fun thing. And I didn't want another building program. But we had to do it. And so we started the next building program. And God slayed that giant too. Humanly speaking, it's impossible but there we were. Got another picture here. I have to find it up there because I'm, I'm not following the script very well. There it is. We're cutting the ribbon for the first Sunday in this building. And we got to move in. God slay giants. You have them, I mean, in a, in a church, but the whole church in America right now has a giant. Um, we began to see that giant not shortly, uh, not too long after this. We began to sense it. You know, our church kind of stopped growing. And that's not supposed to happen, at least in your dreams, it's not. <laughs> but churches all, Amer- all over America are, are diminishing. You know, we close 3,500 churches every year in America. 3,500 churches close their doors. It's probably more than that during COVID. It's awful. We're losing ground. We have less and less. I mean, the, the, the statistics will tell us that. Um, 
I got a little chart here. I don't know if they can throw that up there or not, but during from, from 2009 to 2019, 10-year period, we lost 12% on a, a people. 77% of people in that, at that time were at the, at the beginning were saying they were t- church attenders and, and, and believers. 65% 10 years later, 65%. And, and it's continued to go down. We're not making headway. We're losing ground in this country. Every pastor I know wants to know why. We're all trying to figure it out. How, why is it going that way? Why aren't we, why aren't we able to keep things growing? Uh, some of you remember the Crystal Cathedral over in uh, Garden Grove. Thank you. Uh, Crystal Cathedral. You know, church in 1955 started and bad, grew like crazy and lots of people coming and they built this giant glass structure and they had these Christmas programs where everybody in the world came to see that camel walking down the aisle and the angels flying above. I don't know if you, you ever remember that or not, but that boy is an amazing Christmas thing that they did. And they put on these great programs and people came because of the entertainment value of it and because it was, you know, because it had some spiritual interest, I guess. But, and many came to Christ, but in 2010... The Crystal Cathedral went bankrupt and had to sell the building to pay their bills. Churches in America are in not a good place. Um, And the reason that we discovered and that all of the churches back in 2008, 2010 were doing these surveys, internal surveys, and we asked 30 people in our congregation to fill out a survey and said, what are we doing right? What are we not doing well? What you know, and got their feedback. We said, be honest. It, it might hurt, but be, and it did hurt. And, and, but be honest. And, and they said, well, we like the children's program. We like the buildings. We like the music. We, some of them even like the preacher. And, you know, that was gratifying. Uh, and, but the thing we weren't doing well is making disciples. People would look back at their lives and say, you know, in the last three years, spiritually, I don't know that I've grown at all. And they were right. And we knew they were right, but didn't, we didn't know what to do about it. I mean, I was preaching my heart out every Sunday. You know, we were doing all the things that we thought we should do. We went to conferences that tried to help us. We listened to tapes and read books and couldn't find a solution. I got some quotes here. Um, I can find them. What did I do with those? Like I say, I'm not sticking to my script here. Um, The thing that no one had done for us was teach us how to make disciples. I graduated from seminary, and I never had a course in discipleship. I, I, I learned New Testament Greek. I learned Old Testament Hebrew. You know, I learned how to parse Greek verbs, I, I, you know, and exegete scripture. But nobody said anything about making disciples. And that seems strange because, you know, when my dad died in 1974, uh, and my brother and my two sisters and I went down to the funeral in Miami and my mom took us to the home afterwards and said, you know, if you see anything that you like, it reminds you of dad, you can have it. And I don't know what everybody else got, but I got his ring, not his wedding ring, the ring that he gave him from graduation from seminary. And on, in Boston, you can't see it really, it's too fuzzy, but it's the, the, it's embossed the, the verse reverence, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the great commission, which says, go into all the world and make disciples. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all these commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Go and make disciples. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, Jesus never told me to build a church. He told me to make disciples. And in Matthew 17, he said, I will build my church. I will build, you make disciples, I will build my church. Um, wow. Uh, I, first service, he's not sitting there now, but uh, Pollock, Mason, was at a, uh, a work day with me. We had all the men outside working on the property, and Mason Pollock had just come to our church. He was just graduating from college, working out of the base. And he looked up the ladder. I'm on the ladder trimming a bush, and he's down at the bottom, and he looks up at me and said, Pastor, would you disciple me? I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that meant. I was on the way back from a conference in somewhere, and I was reading a, a journal they make for pastors called a leadership journal and I was reading an article by John Ortberg that said on discipleship and he mentioned a name of a guy Greg Ogden that had written some stuff about it I got off the airplane and I googled Greg Ogden found he had a book called Transforming Discipleship and I ordered a copy and I began to read and it seemed to make sense so I ordered three more copies I gave one to Daryl Lundberg and one to Jim Moyer and one to Bev Garcia who was my personal administrative assistant I said let's get back together and let's talk about this so we did. We talked about it, and we said, okay, let's try an experiment. I'll get a group. That, what Greg encourages is doing discipleship in gender-specific quads, groups of four. And so I've, I got three guys, and I got a picture of my three guys in my quad here. They'll bring it up here in a minute. There you are. Joel Morris, Frank McCarthy, Scott Packham, and me. That was my first discipleship quad. We met every week for more than a year going through this material. I mean, it's not easy to go through. It's like Bible College 101. But what happened in that time with these four guys meeting together every week, saying our verses to each other, sharing the homework we've done, our lives began to change. We began to sense the impact of the Holy Spirit on us spiritually. Now, I, you know, I, I got two elders and a would-be elder, you know, in my group. Uh, Daryl Lundberg got all newbies, you know, brand new believers in his group. Took him longer because they had further to go. But when you get to the end, you're supposed to take those four guys and everybody goes out and gets four more guys and it multiplies. And at the end of the year, my group multiplied. Everybody did it. And Bev's group did it. And eventually Jim's group did it. And Daryl's did it. And then we began to see this thing grow. And more and more people seeking to be transforming disciples. Not just a disciple, not just a better disciple, but a disciple maker. And because that's what Jesus was talking about, go into all the world and make disciples. And you're not really a fully obedient disciple if you're not making other disciples because that's his last command. Teach them to obey all the commands. And his last command is go make disciples. All of a sudden, this is dawning on us. We began to do it. Other churches in town started coming to us and say, can you teach us how to do that? I mean, Good Shepherd Lutheran was first ones. They came over and said, you got one of my guys in one of your groups. That was Jim Johnson. Somebody remember Jim. He was the pastor there then. Jim said, you got one of my guys in one of your groups. I said, oh, well, okay. He said, would you come over and teach us how to do those groups? So we did. And we did that at several other churches. And then we had a missionary come back from Romania. And we decided, hey, let's try it in Romania. Maybe it'll work overseas. And sure enough, it did. And we had a, what we called a global discipleship summit here. 
we hosted it in our church, and we brought missionaries from different parts of the world. We had 53 different missionaries and, and pastors from different parts of the world who came to Camarillo to learn how to make disciples. And we sent them back to their countries to make disciples. That was two months before I retired. And then I retired, and Greg Ogden and I, who wrote this material, Greg wrote it, uh, we partnered and we formed a little operation called Global Discipleship Initiative, which I'm still working at. And I'm retired. They don't pay me nothing. We just, I just do it, you know, and it's Greg too. We just do this. But the last trip we took last year was to uh, Hungary, Romania, and Ukraine. In Hungary, we just translated the material into Hungarian, so we got to teach some Hungarian pastors how to use it. We'd already been doing it in Romania, so we got to teach more pastors there. Then we went into Ukraine. It took us four hours across the border, but we got in. A war going on. We went in with three cargo vans loaded with food and clothes and medical supplies. For the, We delivered them to churches there, local churches who were in that part, in Suchevica, they are... Uh, they are a refugee center. The refugees come from uh, the, the eastern part where all the war is going on, and, and these, they, a lot of them, if you can't get across the border, they st- settle there. So these churches have b- tra- transformed their churches into big dormitories, and they're trying to take care of all of these people coming in. So we're teaching them how to make disciples uh, in that context, and they're so excited about it. But one of the guys that went with me uh, was Ken Seal, and Ken was in one of my first discipleship groups back in Washington, where I am now, and we've been working together now for the last five years, six years, and, and Ken, uh, he's, a, he's, he's in real estate, uh, real estate loans, and, um, but he's an avid st- student of the Bible. He's one of these guys that discovers new things in the Bible all the time, and then he comes to surprise you with it, and he says, you know I'm perfect, don't you? And you think, what? Yeah, I'm perfect. And then he explains. He says, well, I'm in Jesus, and there's nothing evil in Jesus, right? Oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. He, he loved taking something new that he was learning and throwing it at people like that. And we just had a great time with him while we were over there. But while we were over there, he began to develop some difficulty in swallowing. And he said that when he got back to the United States, he'd check it out. And sure enough, he did. And they found they had late stages of esophageal cancer gave him six months to live a giant another giant uh, six months to live so we began to pray for him and, uh, and he, he, he loved playing the cancer card Everybody he'd go to, he says, I'm dying of cancer. By the way, you know Jesus? <laughs> he, could, he could take every conversation and turn it around to Christ. He, he, and he'd use this cancer thing to open the conversation. He says, I'm excited. You know, uh, you can't scare me with heaven. You can't scare me. That was his favorite phrase. You can't scare me with heaven. And he meant it. He meant it. He was not afraid. And I would love to tell you that all our, our prayers, God healed his cancer. But he didn't in this world. He's healed now. He's in the presence of Jesus. And I got to spend the next nine months, not six months, but nine months watching a champion for Jesus prepare to die. And he wasn't afraid. Jesus says, I got it here somewhere. There it is. Uh, Paul says it in Corinthians. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Every one of us will face that giant, won't we? 
Every one of us is going to face that giant. And does it occur to you that maybe all of the giants that you face in your life every day and all through, you know, through your life are getting you ready for that last giant that you're going to face? God gives us giants to train us, to teach us, to depend on him. If there's one thing I learned from the David and Goliath story is that I'm not David. I'm not David and neither are you. And God isn't trying to pump us up and saying, go out and fight harder. No, he's not saying fight harder. He says, I'll fight for you. I'm the champion. Another boy from Bethlehem is the champion. He's the one that fights our Goliath for us. We don't have to fight Goliath on our own. He's the one who comes and does battle for us. And he's always victorious. He always wins. That's who we count on and depend on. I know that your elders have starting a new thing that they're doing after the services. They're inviting people to come up and they're going to pray for you. Anybody that has a giant in your life, they, they want to pray for you. They want to become make prayer more a part of what we're doing here. Cam CC. If you have a giant in your life, what are you going to do about it? Bow your heads with me for a moment. And I just want to ask you, if you can identify the giant in your life today, God gives us to him all the time. God gives them to us. Uh, why does he give them to us? Because he wants to show himself strongly in our behalf. So if you have a giant right now, that you're facing, and you can identify that giant. Just raise your hand, right? Ever, wherever you are, raise your hand. You got a giant? Raise your hand. We're going to pray for you in just a minute. Raise your hand if you've got a giant you're facing. If you can identify a giant, raise your hand. Okay, we're going to pray right now. Father God, you see the hands that have been raised. You know the hearts that are yielding to you and saying, I need your help. We do need your help, Father. You allow things to come into our lives so that we will learn how to depend on you and how to invite you into our lives to, to be our, our, our champion, to be the one who stands between us and that giant, one who can, we can always know will be victorious. Father, we ask that right now, I ask for those who have raised your hands, Father, that you would meet that need, whatever that is, Father, whatever giant that is, you will show them how you want to work, how you want to use this in their lives. Father, the way that you're using this to prepare them for anything that's in the future. Father, you do that for us. You use these giants to show your strength for those that you love. Father, thank you. Your head still bowed for a moment if you're here and maybe you've come this morning and you don't yet know Christ in a personal way. Maybe you've come just out of curiosity. Somebody's brought you, somebody's invited you. Or maybe you've been coming, but you're just not sure about that relationship with Christ. Jesus said, I stand the door, the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into them. He wants to come into your heart, into your life. He wants to be there for you. He wants to give you the strength that you need to face any giant that comes. Invite Jesus into your life. Just say, Lord Jesus, I do need you. I want you in my life. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Help me to become the person you want me to be. Father, thank you that you hear our prayers. You know our hearts. You promised that you would be there for us. So we 
put our faith in you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give a hand to Pastor Ralph. Thank you. So good to have you back up here. Uh, Ralph and I worked together for 20 years before he retired. Uh, um, so it's so good to see you. You know, if you just prayed with Pastor Ralph to receive Jesus Christ for the very first time, um, would you do us a favor and let us know? I think telling someone's like the next most important step. Um, so if you're in here in this room today and you just received Christ as your Savior, go to the counter and let us know what God's doing in your life because we want to be on that journey with you. And if you're online, go to campcc.net, click on next steps at the top of the page and fill out that little form and one of our pastors will get back to you so that we can walk this journey towards Christ with you. All right, we're gonna receive our offering now. It's uh, how we worship God. It's if you wanna honor the Lord through giving, there's three ways to participate. Go to campcc.net, click give at the top of the page, can text the amount you'd like to donate to 84321 or do we have an offering box in the lobby. You know, uh, when you give here, it helps support all of our ministries. We support mission missions, 10% of our budget is going to missions. One of the missionaries we support is uh, the GDI that Ralph mentioned earlier, the Global Discipleship Initiative that he and Greg Ogden are running. So when you give here, you're helping support ministries like that as well. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, Ralph mentioned the prayer ministry. How that works is if you'd like something prayed for, if something's going on in your life you'd like to receive prayer for, we'll have some people up in front at the conclusion of the service. So while everyone else is going that way, you can just come this way and they will would love to pray with you. In addition to that, there's going to be a luncheon directly after the service as well in the other building um, that the prayer team is putting on for anyone who's interested in finding out more about that ministry. Maybe you would like to be part of that prayer ministry or maybe just meet these people or get a free lunch or whatever your motivation is. You're invited and welcome in the other building after the service. All right, before we go, let's check out this video. Cam CC. I'm Jacob Salas, the middle school pastor. I'm glad you're here with us today. If you're looking for a place to serve, please reach out to me because we would love to get more people investing in the next generation. If today is your first time with us, we're so glad you're here. If it's your second time, we're blessed to have you back. If you're a first time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. All you have to do is grab a connection card, fill it out, both sides and take it to the welcome counter in the lobby or scan the QR code with your phone's camera and let the welcome counter know that you filled it out digitally. You can also put your prayer request on this card as well. If this is your second visit, let us know at the welcome counter and grab a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. If you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps to go through the guest process. There are many, many great things coming up at CamCC. Be thinking about who you will invite. Pathways class, take your spiritual journey to the next level. Led by our team of staff and elders, learn more about CamCC and be provided tools to deepen your relationship with God. Space is limited, so reserve your spot today at the growth group table or email Jim Moyer at camcc.net. September 24th, baptisms. We'll be having baptisms for both worship gatherings. If you would like to take the next step in your faith, sign up to get baptized. Mark your connection card, baptism, or go to camcc.net slash next steps and Pastor Darrell will get in touch with you or answer any questions you might have. This is a powerful way of putting your faith into action, a true outward expression for an inward change. For more info, contact Daryl at camcc.net. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. Sunday, October 8th, 
Ryan Stevenson in concert, 7 p.m. CamCC welcomes double award-winning and billboard-charting artist Ryan Stevenson. I'm sure you recognize his songs from the radio or Spotify playlist. Tickets available on our website or skip the fees and purchase them in the lobby. Or if you want to serve, email katie at camcc.net. October 20th through the 22nd, Women's Retreat. Ladies, time is running out to sign up for the Women's Retreat held at Mount Crags in Calabasas. To register, go to camcc.net slash women. And for more info, contact Allison at camcc.net. Tuesday, October 31st, Trunk or Treat, 6 to 8 p.m. This is going to be awesome. We want you to invite your friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers to join us for a night of huge and rad trunks, a dance party, family photos, a candy cannon, and tons and tons of candy. We need trunks and volunteers. We want to fill out the parking lot with trunks. If you have a growth group, come serve and hang out at Trunk or Treat. This is a night you will not want to miss. Contact Sam at camcc.net for more info. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. Um, Pastor Ralph talked about how David had been in dangerous situations before, or maybe situations that seemed impossible. Um, but he always knew that he was not alone, that God was with him and going before him. And um, all David needed to do was advance forward, take those steps forward, knowing that God was going before him and fighting that battle. And I think we can really take that. And when we see that we're facing that impossible thing or that giant, just take our steps forward, advance forward, and God will be in the process of winning that battle for you, even though we might not see the outcome. Um, as you think about this week, I, I just encourage you to think about who in your life you can invite to church with you next week. Also, we all have, we have our growth groups starting this week. So if you are looking for the questions, you can go to camcc.net slash growth groups and you'll be able to find the questions for um, the growth group meetings on that page of the website. Um, we would also love for you to join us out on the patio. We have some um, coffee, tea, um, juice, water, and also some yummy donuts. We would love to meet you out there and get to know you more. And we will see you next Sunday. God bless you.